Fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game stealth and its boom boom are up to snuff. My name is Colin Mahern and joining me on this episode is a man who loves injecting Nazis with a lethal dose of poison. It's Adam Carroll. Good evening. And alongside him is someone who enjoys going for a little swim. It's Josh Wise. <laughs> Hello. I think that sums up both of your outside activities pretty well. Absolutely. That has, that, that has nothing to do with the game we're talking about today. It's just what, what you like to do in your spare time. Of a weekend, yeah. But as we always uh, need to do at the start of these podcasts, we need to get into the right headspace before we discuss the game that we're going to be talking about today. And I'm going to ask the both of you to cast your minds back quite a while ago, in fact, 25 years ago. Because, lads, tonight we're going to party like it's June 24th, 1998. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, as I said, 25 years ago, quite a while ago. And what I usually do in this part of the podcast is tell you what was happening in and around the, the 24th of June, 1998. So a day later, on the 25th of June, 1998, we would get probably my favourite window of all time, Windows 1998. Oh. Or just 98. I was being very formal by calling it 1998. <laughs> Uh, it was the final Windows named after a year, a simpler time mm. before we went all XP and Vista. Oh, XP's my favourite. I used to love XP. That was that's a classic, it, it classic, classic window, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a, f- a few days after this, on the 26th of June, Glastonbury 1998. Uh, was held. Oh, who headlined in 98? Yeah, the three headliners are pretty 1980. Oh, whoa. So, you had Pulp oh. was one, Blur. Oh, my God. And I think they the, this next act was the, like, Sunday, the final headliner, Primal Scream. I would have stayed home all weekend. <laughs> I, 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 would have, I would have seen Blur and I would have seen Pulp. Primal Scream? Nah. Ah. Maybe I'd listen to Rocks. But apart from that, I'm fine. If they were doing Screamer Delica, oh man, I love a bit of Screamer Delica. Look, let's stay on, on music and see what was topping the charts on this date. So two very, very different number ones. In America, topping the charts was, when I saw this, I was like, oh my God, Nostalgia Central. Yeah. And like, I, I, I hated this song, <laughs> but it was just like, God, this is that era, isn't it? <laughs> so in America, topping the charts monster hit it was Brandy and Monica with The Boy Is Mine oh my god Brandy and Monica does. The Boy Is Mine <laughs> oh in the UK you had Frank Skinner and David Baddiel of course along with their lightning seed friends <laughs> They were number one with three lines, 98. Because it was France. It was France, 98, wasn't it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Funnily enough, 
in six days' time after this, England would be knocked out of the World Cup, uh, losing on penalties to Argentina. Oh, God. Yeah, do you remember yeah. Do you remember that game, Josh? It was mad. It was where Michael Owen became a superstar at, at only 18. Yeah. And it was also the match where David Beckham was sent off. And then he had his fellow countrymen and women burning effigies of him in the streets. Brilliant, yeah. The, 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 yeah, the, the logical reaction, yeah, the composed reaction <laughs> to someone's shortfall. That's the first sort of footballing memory where I remember it was drilled into me. England always lose at penalty shootouts, classic. Uh, and also I remember it was the first, I, I remember crying. I mean, I was only like, I don't know, six years old or something like that. But I remember watching it and crying loads, even though I had absolutely no interest in football. I just got sucked into the event. And I was just like, oh, England have lost. That's shit. Fuck. And then, yeah. Oh, poor little, poor little Josh. Hello. So did you then take to the streets and burn effigies of David Beckham? Well, that's the natural. Yeah, I just said, right, Pat, get me a David Beckham shirt. I'm not done here. <laughs> I've got business. <laughs> <laughs> Turned into a hooligan at a young age. Joined the firm. Yeah. In yeah. movies, then, two, again, very different films. In America, topping the box office was the movie of the TV show. It was The X Files. Oh, God, yeah, The X Files. Not a bad film, actually. Whilst in the UK, the number one film was quite different, I suppose. It was. The Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan rom-com vehicle, it was City of Angels. City of Angels, with the song by the Goo Goo Dolls. I blanked on that. That was from that film. You're right. It was. Was it, was Iris. it Iris? Yeah. He was in the wheelchair in the video and he had a telescope and I didn't really understand the, the context of the whole film and everything. I, <laughs> I didn't really get what was going on. Yeah. That was, uh, again, a very 1998 song. But yeah, that's what was happening in and around June 24th, 1998, in the world. So, now that you're in the right headspace, let us move our attention to the game we're discussing today with a segment we like to call Back of the Box. Yes, as I always make mention, eagle-eyed listeners will have seen on their podcast player of choice the game we are discussing today commandos behind enemy lines now this was quite a while ago so some younger listeners may be wondering what the hell is commandos behind enemy lines well look let me tell you it was a real-time tactics game where you played as an allied officer that led six marvel-esque super soldiers to success during world war ii well, I, I say you lead them to... You try to lead them to success because it's quite hard. It's quite hard. A lot of failure on the way. Unlike an Avengers film. Unlike a Marvel <laughs> film, I suppose. <laughs> so this one came to PC and it first came out in Europe on the 24th of June, 1998, as I said. However, I have seen conflicting dates. I've also seen July, but let's let's just go with you. Let's say that. <laughs> in North America, it was the 28th of August, 1998, so a few, few months after the fact. This is usually the part of the show then where I tell you what was on the back of the physical box. And thanks to the internet, I have what I believe is the back of specifically the European box. So, a lot of screenshots. There's actually loads. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 screenshots. is mad. That's it's a load. Very, very busy. Mm. Very busy. But the text reads as follows. Quote, 
Commandos is a real-time tactics game set in World War II that puts you in command of a small squad of elite troopers. Send them behind enemy lines, uh, 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 name of the game, yes. on a series of hazardous missions and bring them back alive. Clever strategy has never been so furiously action-packed. It's never been so furiously action-packed <laughs> because clever people normally very boring. You see, it's not one for the dweebs. This is for the for the real players out there. You know, <laughs> yes. Uh, study the enemy's movements, develop a careful plan, synchronize your men, and launch them on a swift and fierce attack using all your power and skill. Mm. And that's how you win. Hmm. Or at least, again, how you try to win. The story synopsis then of this one. Uh, <laughs> it's World War II. What more do you... I'm not your history teacher, all right? What, what do you want from me? If you want a little more, dear listener, you, the player, are the commander of an elite group of soldiers, the commandos. And yeah, you guide them during missions that take place in Europe and parts of Africa with the goal basically being to end the threat of the Nazis. Look, and I don't typically do this here, but you're probably better off just listening to the opening video that plays when you boot up the game. It's short, sweet, to the point, and rather than have me waffle on about what was happening in the world in the early 1940s, like I'm going to tell you what was topping the musical charts in America. <laughs> uh, so yeah, here is the opening intro video that you see when you boot the game up. It's late 1940, the domain of the Axis overwhelms the whole of Western Europe. Momentarily stopped by the English Channel, the German army joins forces for an imminent invasion of Britain. However, there is a man in the British command who is not resigned to play a merely defensive role. His name is Colonel Dudley Clark. His plan, to create a special unit with a fistful of exceptional men. Men skillful enough to deal with all kinds of equipment and weaponry. Men able to engage the enemy in the most dangerous missions. Men able to change the course of the war. These men were destined to make history. How many times can you say men, men. in a sentence? Men! <laughs> men who are destined! Men! Not women! Not anyone else! Men! <laughs> It does feel a bit Al Murray pub landlord, doesn't bit. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know that's uh, we'll be talking about them later on because I know it's something you want to bring up as well, Josh. Those mm. little intro videos. Mm. But now let us talk about the developer, the people behind this game, and the developer was a studio by the name of Pyro Studios, and. Simply put, Pyro Studios is Commandos. Commandos is Pyro Studios. Yeah. Mm. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the now defunct company made seven games, uh, seven of their own games, four of which were Commandos games. Mm. Maybe it's because the last one, which was a first-person shooter Commandos, and I'm discounting the HD remasters for a sec, but the last one came out in 2006, or, or maybe it's because strategy games were, on the whole, sort of dying while the internet was ri rising, but it's difficult to find much of anything on the origins of the studio and Commandos itself, yeah. which is quite surprising given what we're going to be talking about and kind of the success <laughs> of the games really but you're not going to kill my enthusiasm for trawling the internet you bastards alright <laughs> I will find some things god damn it so 
Pyro Studios was formed in 1996 in Madrid, Spain. And importantly, it was set up to sell games to an international audience. So in an article called The History of Commandos, which was in the February 2022 issue of Retro Gamer, technology lead Javier Aravalo said, quote, At the time, there wasn't anything like Pyro Studios. It was the first time that the exclusive goal was making games, not just to sell first in Spain and then elsewhere. So once the company was set up, they, of course, needed to make their first game. And it was between three. It was either going to be a game about pirates or a game that apparently kind of resembled Conan the Barbarian or a World War II game. And obviously they made the Conan, but they made the World War <laughs> II game. In another interview with a website Arcade Attack, and I, I do just kind of little brief aside here. Without Arcade Attack, they have done more Commandos coverage than kind of anyone I've seen of the last couple of years in terms of like interviews and stuff like that. So thank you very much, Arcade Attack. I'd be lost for this episode. But yeah, in an interview in August 2019, Ignacio Perez Dulcet, or Dulce, uh, the co-founder of Pyro Studios, said, quote, We had the idea of making a game that we could do with a relatively low budget, a million dollars. Uh, but that could compete in the market. Strategy was the most popular genre back then, and it offered a lot of opportunities to create something new. Uh, That was the central idea from the beginning. Make something original that could have had a chance in the market. I've always been a big fan of World War II, a big fan of movies and war games. Commandos was a consequence of all that. Then, in March 2020, Arcade Attack again spoke with John Beltran de Aradia, the Commandos Behind Enemy Lines lead programmer, who told them that the game took about 18 months to make, with a, around 18 people making it, working long days and sometimes seven days a week. You talk about crunch, Mm. a lot of crunch going on there. But back then, they just called it a good time. (laughs) (laughs) In that time, Pyro Studios made their way to the UK to chat with the house that Lara Croft built, IDOS Interactive. And in that Retro Gamer article I mentioned earlier, Javier Aravalo said, quote, IDOS and some whim decided to buy the rights to Commandos. I imagine the difficulty to categorise commandos was one of the things that they saw as a potential strength. Then in a 2022 interview with Arcade Attack, which you'll be hearing clips from later, again, John Beltran de Aradia said that Ian Livingston, a name you're going to hear a couple of times in a minute, but uh, yeah, Ian Livingston apparently came into the meeting for a look and he saw the game and he said there and then, sign that game. And that's more or less the story of Pyro Studios up until the launch of Commandos Behind Enemy Lines. Because it's only two years, really. They set up the studio, they said, let's make Commandos, and it did quite well for them. Mm -hmm. The publisher, as we've said, IDOS Interactive. And I might have mentioned this on the last episode, or was it one before that, but going in depth on the developer is one thing, that's not going to change, but I think I've probably delved a little deep on a few publishers, maybe a little too deep. So (laughs) I'll try and give you a a, a pithy-ish version of the life and times of IDOS Interactive up until the launch of the first Commandos. So, IDOS begins life in 1983 after being founded by two colleagues at a London advertising agency. You had Mark Strachan and Dominic Wheatley. The company wasn't called IDOS, it was called Domark. Do, short for Dominic, and Mark, 
well, Mark is just the other man's name. For their first game, it was an adventure game called Eureka. They got a Hungarian developer by the name of Andromedia to make it. And this is the important fact here. They brought on Ian Livingston to write it. It did all right. It did well enough for them to continue on. And then their second game was a James Bond game. They got the license to A View to a Kill because they had some sort of in with Ian Fleming's family. So they were well connected starting off, you know. Yeah. The the next 10 years were just mad for Dolmark. Like they made a good bit of cash by porting Trivial Pursuit, the, the board game, to computers. It sold roughly 2 million copies. But the big money spinner for them was porting arcade games to the Amiga. So they got the license to three Star Wars games and they, they were just doing really well in the late 80s. But by 1994, Domark was struggling. So it, it had just been a wild 10 years for him, basically. But thankfully for them, in swoops a company that makes video compression software called IDOS. IDOS hands over 12 million quid and Domark is renamed IDOS. In Livingston, remember that name from earlier, he joins the company full-time as executive chairman and co-founder Mark Strachan, the Mark in Domark, is out by year's end. The new company, now called IDOS Interactive, makes another purchase. This time it's 17 million quid for Center Gold. And the reason this is important is because one of Center Gold's subsidiaries was Core Design. The developer that would only six months later launch Tomb Raider. So decent purchase by them. (laughs) Of course, Championship Manager begins around this time period. There's another Tomb Raider in 12 months. And a sneaky thieving game that we'll talk about at a later date. (laughs) But that is basically a quick look at IDOS Interactive Story up until the release of Commandos Behind Enemy Lines. So, the sales then of this one. And thankfully, this is... I think we've had a decent run of actually being able to, to talk about the sales of these games. And Commandos Behind Enemy Lines is no different. In that Arcade Attack interview... Ignacio Perez Dalset said, quote, I made a bet one month before the release that the game would sell over 400,000 copies. Our publisher did not believe that it could do more than 180,000, end quote. The reason I say that is because by the end of 1998, the game had sold over 700,000 copies. (laughs) It had spent multiple weeks at the top of the UK charts. It was the fourth best-selling game of 1998 in Germany. It was a proper bona fide hit that ended up selling one and a half million copies by May 2000. And that's the most recent reported number that I I could find. You would imagine there were a couple more copies sold (laughs) in the (laughs) the 23 years since. Wowzer. Uh, The critical reception of this one, this is pre-Metacritic. So the game ranking score of this was 81. And that is your back of the box for Commandos Behind Enemy Lines. So we are going to take a quick break and the people at home will get to listen to uh, the Commandos Behind Enemy Lines official trailer (laughs) while we take a quick break. And then we will be back to talk about the marketing and press coverage of this very game. So we'll be back in just a minute. These are your soldiers. The best men among the commander's force. They are trained to perform all kinds of special actions behind enemy lines. 
They can drive and operate anything on air, land or sea. And they can use any kind of weapon to finish a quiet job, meet smart enemies that act on what they see, hear and feel. With the aid of multiple tracking cameras and a graphic engine based on a fully 3D world. Unique, ingeniously designed missions and a gameplay that combines clever strategy and furious action leads to a new approach in strategy games, real-time tactics. They are just a few men. They are ready to change history. And you are in charge. Right then, let us talk about the marketing and press coverage around commandos behind enemy lines. And let's start off by indeed discussing the marketing and the trailer that our listeners have just listened to. And I will say an edited down version of the trailer because I was like, I can't have you listening to three and a half minutes. (laughs) Uh, You're still getting a decent chunk of it. But this is such a meaty (laughs) Unbelievable stuff. Yeah. It's over three and a half minutes long. I found this on, on YouTube. I believe this was included in PC magazine discs back in the day. Uh, it's quite like, do you want to know about commandos behind enemy lines? This will tell you. Yeah. Don't really need to play it after that even. It is too long. I'm a fan of a short trailer just in life generally, but it really does. T- it's, this is like, we want to sell this to people. We'll take them through every key feature of the thing. Mm. So you've you got to give it that. They're bloody thorough. Another thing I have in our little document here is a magazine advert, which was in the Next Generation magazine, issue number 47 in November 1998. And we'll post this on social media or whatever. But this was approximately two months after the game's release in America. And just to kind of describe the advert for the people listening... There's this kind of weird circular green, it's kind of Looney Tunes-esque actually, kind of <laughs> yeah, uh, circular war, warpy thing. And in the middle you see the text, only IDOS challenges your imagination. And there are six games there, mm-hmm. three on the bottom, three on the top. And on the bottom you have Revenant, Daikatana and Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy VII is on the bottom. I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into place. But oh, no, I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> on the top you have Thief the Dark Project, Tomb Raider 3, and Commandos Behind Enemy Lines. It's sitting up there yeah. with two other, like, you know, staples of uh, IDOS. Mm. Like, researching this game and uh, kind of really getting into it. It's like, God, this was, this was, this was big time, you know? Yeah, the placement of it is, is nutty. Let's talk about some press coverage then. And like a lot of these older games, like I remember Tenshu was quite hard to find things from around the time. I have found... Yeah, interviews that, you know, retrospectives, basically. I've I've referenced them in the the bio section as well. Arcade Attack did an interview with Ignacio Perez Dolcet, uh, one of the co-founders, on the 22nd of August, 2019. And he spoke a bit about the difficulty of Commandos. So he said, quote, The idea was to make a game that was easy to play, hard to master. We did try versions that were easier to play, but we ended up going with the version that was published, as it was the one that we thought had the best gameplay experience. 
Probably looking back, the only thing that I would have done a different way would have been a couple of additional tutorials and a softer learning curve. I think that's an interesting quote in that Mm. there are already quite a lot of tutorials. I was a bit blown away by how many tutorials there were in this game. Yeah, I know that that would be the one one possible solution. Like, we actually didn't put enough in. I was thinking to myself, there's about nine different tutorials. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, softer learning curve, though. Fair play to that. Like, even though there's so many tutorials, I definitely was a bit like, this is, this is deep enough. This is deep there enough. is a lot. There is a lot, definitely. Then there are posted in the February 2020 issue of Retro Gamer. You added an article, The History of Commandos, which I referenced earlier. Lead programmer, John Beltran de Heredia, in that said, The Guns of Navarone, The Bridge on the River Kwai, The Eagle Has Landed, The Dirty Dozen, and Kelly's Heroes were all huge inspirations on the game. They're all films, just in case. You know, you know there's a lot of young <laughs> people, perhaps. They are old, I suppose. But yeah, um, De Heredia said, quote, That was something that the creative director, Gonzalo Suarez, always pushed for. This has to remind you of those movies. Both of you, big movie lads. Have either of you seen any of those films? Yeah, I have seen all of them. I've seen all of them except The Eagle Has Landed. It's very, very much tapped into that, you know. Another decent analogue, although probably not one that um, that John Beltran de Heredia would have chosen, would be something like The 18. Mm. But yeah, it sort of taps into that crack squad. They've all got uh, different skills as a sort of camaraderie in their mm. interactions, which, uh, <laughs> I mean, they don't really... There is humour in Commandos. How much of it is intentional? I don't know. That's something we will get to for sure. I think tonally, it's like from the Guns of Narone and the, the, the Bridge in the River Kwai, they're mm. the ones I feel I get the most out of this game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Also in that article, Javier Aravalo spoke about emergent gameplay, of all things. In the interview, he said it wasn't a term back then, obviously, but he did say that was something that they were kind of striving for. It's just, you know, yeah, emergent gameplay wasn't a a, a buzz phrase that people had. Aravalo said, quote, The creative director wanted to have very organic reactions. The enemy soldiers have a brain, they have a memory, levels of anxiety and things like that. Uh, That meant the game could react in unexpected ways. And I think that's fair. Mm. Yeah. I suppose there's a a part of me that goes, you know, like if you take a far cry, right, which, you know, emergent gameplay, oh, you crash the car and then a rhino comes in and then, oh, there's enemies (laughs) and blah, 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 blah. Like, I don't know if Commandos gives you an option to rescue things a lot. I think you're right, yeah. And also with Far Cry... And a little bit with Commander. I think Far Cry is a good example with this. It's more like chaos, like fruitful chaos. Like in my mind, emergent gameplay is stuff like you stick the mines on the wall in Deus Ex and actually they are footholds and you can use to... And actually maybe the designers didn't even think of that. Do you know what I mean? When it's like... Far Cry and and like a rhino comes in or like in Commandos when shit hits the fan and some unexpected Mm -hmm. stuff. Is that like, maybe I just need to broaden my definition. Is that emergent as well? I suppose it's like... It's kind of unexpected. It happens out of nowhere. You have to, yeah, you have to adapt to things. I just, I'm not sure how much it Adapt. There, uh, there is a little bit. There, there most certainly is. Yeah. We'll get on to all that. Then Arcade Attack, once more, posted a video on the 17th of August, 2022. Big, massive interview, nearly two hours in length with John Beltran de Aradia. 
called The Story of Commandos. And it is all of Commandos. There's a lot of very interesting stuff about Commandos 2 in there as well. Mm. A story for another time. But on the original Commandos, uh, I have a few clips here I wanted to play. So this first one is the Heredia on whether they expected the level of success that they achieved. And also a bit on piracy as well that they they faced with the game. So take a listen to this. The amount of success that came when it was released came as a bit of a surprise to to mostly everyone. It came as a bit, it was a bit of a sleeper hit as well. Like I I don't think, Eidos didn't expect such a massive uh, success, that's for sure. They invested some money in it. I don't think it was big money for, for what they were investing in titles back then. But then it was released and like in the UK, it was like, uh, 14 or 16 weeks number one. Oh, it's been being released in Germany. It's killing it in Germany as well. Like, yeah, they're yeah. selling several times as much as in the UK. It was like, but the enemies are, are, are like, it's like, it's, yeah, it's they still love it. Right? <laughs> it's like, they love it. It was a big hit in Spain, but uh, it's like, there was there were different levels of piracy in different countries. And back then in Spain, there was quite a bit of piracy. I think these right, days, okay. everything is a lot more legit. Uh, but back then there was a lot more piracy. It was like, it sold like 40,000 copies in Spain. It's like probably 400 people or 400,000 <laughs> people are, are, are playing it, which is which is true because everyone knew it. And again, it, it sort of goes back to that point I, I mentioned earlier where in researching this game, I was like, wow, I suppose I, I don't have an awful lot of history with the Commando series. And I, I guess I, I always thought of it as more of a cult classic rather than, I guess, a commercial success. Yeah, I wonder how much of that uh, when I was... We never had the money for, like, a good gaming PC. So to an extent, it might have been, well, however big this thing is, it is on PC. So it's off limits, you know? So, yeah, I I had no idea just how huge it was growing up. Maybe just because it just wasn't on my radar because it was on PC. But, yeah, not even cult classic, just a genuine, this game was absolutely huge. Another clip here from that interview, it's De Heredia on Pyro Studios and the fledgling games industry of Spain as well. So take a listen to this. I would learn how... A lot of years after, a lot of years after this, there, there was basically no Spanish games industry back then. So it it turned out that a lot of the best talent in Spain ended up in the same in the same <laughs> group, right? But but for me, it was like my first job. I mean, I had done things, I had written a book, I had done projects by myself, or not. But like like first real job in a in a team, it was like oh, it's like you get in a team and everyone is so awesome and so talented, and it's like and then I would learn like no, that was. That was just you were super lucky in a given moment. <laughs> yeah. That rarely happens, right? It's like I mean, yeah, never yeah. again. It's sort of just lightning in a bottle, mm. and you know what? R- refreshing as well. I don't know. Talking about studios from just other countries, mm. it's nice, isn't it? Ra- rather than you know an American company or a UK-based company or a Japanese company. I think like the European games industry is still it's it's not on the level of America or like just in terms of these big massive games or if it is it's offshoots of like a Ubisoft or whatever yeah actually uh, and I know I said I there's a lot of good Commandos 2 stuff in there there's just a lot of good stuff in that interview it, 
this John Beltran de Heredia is a fascinating, mm. fascinating man. Yeah. He, near the end, I don't know how much of it the both of you listen to, but like near the end, he talks about how he does stand up now. Not as a full time <laughs> career, <laughs> I believe, but he also kind of uh, like he's, he's just not in games anymore. That's fascinating that. Just a complete exit. I did get up to the point where he talked about Commanders too, and you can tell like from himself, like how passionate he was about the, the series. Yeah. For anyone that's actually like wanting to know more Commandos, this is one of the best things kind of out there for it. Yeah, definitely. So that is a bit on the marketing and press coverage around Commandos Behind Enemy Lines. So we are going to take a quick little break and then we will be back to tell you what we thought of the game. So yeah, we'll be back in just a tick. All right, let us talk about our opinions. Ooh, imagine that. What a concept for a podcast. Mm -hmm. Three Caucasian males talking about their opinion (laughs) of a video game. A hot new angle. I know, yeah. (laughs) Um, But yes, this is the part of the show where we tell you what we thought of the game that we have played over the past two weeks. But just before we get on to that... I want to know your knowledge of Commandos Behind Enemy Lines before you played it for this podcast. And I guess we have spoken about this a little bit already, but because I only mentioned it in the last section, I'll start by saying, yeah, I I didn't really play PC games growing up mm. apart from Championship Manager. <laughs> like that was, that was the PC game mm. that I played. The only thing I can think of is that I might have played a tiny amount of Commandos for a work thing a few years back when I was at RPS oh. to record some footage for like a strategy games thing. Oh, I see. I honestly can't remember. But that's the only reason why I would have would have played it, I think. And Josh, I think you're I mean, as you already said, like PC games, they just weren't weren't a, a thing for you growing up. They they were a thing I, I idolized. I mean I, I I once bought a copy of Splinter Cell Pandora tomorrow, um, not understanding. I just thought, well dad's got a new laptop, so that's brilliant. I'll buy that immediately. And uh it didn't work blew a load of birthday money on it didn't work that was oh, how I, I learned the hard way about like pc specs and stuff it's like yeah dad's got a new pc that doesn't mean shit though you haven't looked at all the maths on the box and that it's not gonna work mate uh, and it didn't and no returning of a pc game oh, either brutal. no no absolutely not yeah so so no no grounding in commanders i'm afraid i do remember commandos 2 though not having played it but that front cover it was it was like everywhere every, every time and it actually thinking back I think it would have been like the PS2 port of like, you know, with the fella, he's like, he's got a bit of a mean mug. He's sort of frowning at you and it says Commandos 2. And I always remember seeing that in like Choices video when we were renting stuff and always thinking like, oh, that looks like a, like a bad boy game. Looks a bit mean. Um, but yeah, Commandos <laughs> 1, uh, no grounding, I'm afraid. Adam, you mentioned this at the end of last week's show, but for anyone dropping in, can you tell us the tale again? So what... <laughs> You played you played Commandos Behind Enemy Lines because you enjoyed Frosties? Is that it? It was either Frosties or Cocoa Pops, but I'm very certain it was Frosties. <laughs> but yeah, the disc came in like the front of the box. It was just planked there, you know, a big big circle was there and you could see the demo disc and there was a couple of other games on that demo disc, obviously, that I can't remember. <laughs> but uh, I would have played, it would have had like the first mission of the game. But the thing is, I actually found out before doing the podcast that I was reminded 
that when my family bought the PC for the house, the, 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 the Packard Bell, we were given, like, it was like a bundle. So we were given, like, four games that came with it. And the four games were Flight Simulator, um, Theme Hospital, Dungeon Keeper, and Commandos. Oh. But for some reason, when it comes to that PC, I only remember... Playing all the team hospitals, I thought the big heads were hilarious. And then playing Flight Simulator and not knowing what I'm doing, but I just like it. And the plane up and then crashing. <laughs> I mean, that is cl- classic Flight Sim, yeah. <laughs> oh, classic, yeah. I was unaware of games being on, on serial. And I don't know if that happened in this country, but that is a brilliant idea and it should come back. Yeah, it's weird. It was a weird one, but yeah. For those that didn't play along at home, and are wondering what exactly Commandos Behind Enemy Lines is, let me tell you that it is an isometric real-time tactics game wherein, yes, you take control of a group of six soldiers called the Commandos. There are some additional characters that drop in and out in other missions, but there's a core group of six. And during each mission game will provide you some combination of those six soldiers as well as an objective on a map. Each one of your commandos has specific skills as well. So you have the green beret who can silently knife enemies, carry bodies, hide in the snow and use a little decoy sound box. There's the sniper that can, you know, snipe things. <laughs> there is the marine who can swim underwater and row a boat and you can harpoon lads silently as well. There's the sapper who is your grenades and explosives guy. There's the driver, similar to the sniper. The driver drives. <laughs> and there is the spy. And the spy can grab a Nazi uniform off of a washing line. They can wear it. They can go up to enemies and they can start talking to them and then that distracts those enemies. I, lo- I love that. I love the, the, the idea that, that they've got this crack team and they've all got these mad skills. And then they, one of them's like, they go, oh, what, what can you do? And he goes, I can drive. And they go, oh, brilliant. None of us have even passed the test. What about you over there? What do you do? Oh, I, I wear clothes. <laughs> They're like, shit, none of us can do that. Oh, brilliant. Welcome aboard. (laughs) So it's your goal then to use the skills of all of your lads on the battlefield to complete the 20 missions in the game. And the objective on each map is typically blow something up (laughs) (laughs) and then escape sneakily, of course. So, yeah, that's more or less commandos behind enemy lines. So let's get into our opinions of the game then. And what we usually do is we split this up into different sections. So we talk about the stealth of the game. We talk about the boom boom, which is basically the other gameplay bits. We talk about the mission that stands out to us, the most noteworthy one of the game. We talk about the story and then there's just any miscellaneous bits to hoover up at the end. So let us talk about the stealth of commandos behind enemy lines then and i would like to start us off because in our document here i've written down that the stealth in this game is super all caps line of sight <laughs> i guess what i'm saying is that like it's a bit like gunpoint's level of binary detection mm. there's, there's a bit more to it than that so it's basically if you've been seen 
you're dead. Mm. <laughs> More or less. It is possible to survive an encounter with the enemy, but it's not the regular outcome. Like, if they see you, you are more often than not about to die. But to get around that, so each enemy has a vision cone. Uh, You can look at one vision cone at a time by shift and left-clicking on any of the enemies on the, the, the battlefield. So the head of almost every not even almost, I think the head of every enemy soldier is kind of on a bit of a swivel. Uh, Whether they're standing still or they're walking from A to B, their vision will always be moving from left to right. And uh, their their vision cones are kind of at a sort of 135 degree angle. Something like that. (laughs) And their vision cones, they're made up of two different colours. A lighter green that makes up the majority of the inside of the cone and a darker green that makes up the outer part of the cone. And the difference in colouring is there to tell you two things. One, if one of your commandos is placed within the lighter green section of the enemy cone, you're detected. Two, if one of your commandos is standing in the darker green section of the cone, they will also be detected. However, if they're scurrying along on their belly in the darker green section, they won't be detected. And I suppose I brought up gunpoint uh, a second ago because it works off of a similar deal in that in Tom Francis's game, you have all the information, but if you place Detective Richard Conway in front of a guard, you are seen. Because, like, in Commandos, you have all the knowledge at the beginning of a mission. You know, like, extremely Alex Horn voice. All, all the information is on the task. Mm-hmm. You can see the entire map. You can see every patrolling Nazi soldier, as well as what they're looking at. You can see your objective. You see everything. Mm. I wanted to bring that up because that power is so important because in almost every other way you are playing second fiddle Mm. to your enemy. Like just in sheer numbers because at most there'll be six of you versus potentially dozens of them. And further to that point and why I'm kind of stressing that line of sight in all caps, like you don't need to worry about sound. A gunshot from a pistol that you shoot, that will alert your enemies, yeah, but your footsteps won't. Mm. So, you know, as long as you stay out of that vision cone, you can leg it up behind a guy as long as the coast is clear. You can be standing, you can run, and you'll be fine. So, and even though I've, I've stressed it already, it does bear repeating, you know absolutely everything you need to know at the beginning of a mission even before you've had one of your commandos make a single move there's no fog of war to worry about you just see the entire map from the moment you hit play and that level of clear communication is magnificent Mm. i mean it doesn't make it a cinch of course (laughs) far from it but even thematically it works like placing you in the role of this allied forces commander and having a bird's eye view being able to plot out what you're going to do before you do it two thumbs up outstanding i thought and i know you kind of felt similar about the the rules of commandos josh oh yeah top top stuff yeah i mean I, i agree with uh with everything that you've just said i think it is uh like you know a risk showing giving giving everyone that power but a risk definitely tied down by the challenge that 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 then meets the player but i for me i thought it was the the rules were good in themselves and the way the rules were communicated were good both in the in in, in the numerous tutorials but 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 even just you know it's got a really good visual language uh i really liked the 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 line of sight uh the way that you can 
focus in on which enemy's line of sight you want to see at a particular time. And then it does that lovely thing that the sort of uh, was in was in Monaco. I seem to be bringing Monaco up in every episode we do, by the way, because... <laughs> it's really had a lasting impression on a man as well, I will point out, that gave it a play, not an espionage explore. Just want to point oh, that out, just want to point yeah, that out. Yeah, yeah. Getting, a bit, getting a bit spicy in, in this one. We'll, we'll wait for our Game of the Year podcast <laughs> at the end of the year. <laughs> well, it's just specifically that thing that Monaco did, and then that sort of Basingstoke did as well, by the way, where it's just like, you know, the, the, the line of sight hits hits the obstacles and then you get the bit like you can see exactly what they can see when it bumps into obstacles Mm -hmm. and you get those dark patches you know it'll hit a rock and effectively be like a shadow so you'll be like oh well I can stand in there just very very clear and cleanly communicated which in a game of outrageous complication and intricacy uh is absolutely essential. Like if it were, if there were any mud to it, like if, if it was anything like, or if, or, or if it was like Monaco and it was like, you know, yeah, you actually can't, you actually can't see those bits. Then you'd be like, right, well, this is, this is fucked then. I can't do any of this. So it kind of, it kind of needs to be as clean and, and, and as cleanly and clearly communicated as it is. But yeah, I, I, for me, it, it made perfect sense. Love the little mechanic and I don't think anyone's ever done done it since of the of the sort of two zone vision cone where if you're on your belly that's fine kind of made you know made sense to me very nicely exploitable and yeah I also don't think any any other games ever done you choose which vision cone you want to see at, at one particular time right they either go willy nilly on vision cones or they don't do them at all so yeah two thumbs up from me as well on that uh, those rules do need to be clear because yeah the, the AI is mm. impeccable you know si- again similar to, to gunpoint Adam like but there were definitely points where you would have preferred if they weren't quite as good is it fair to say <laughs> I think I'm just basically saying that I was crap at the game <laughs> there was certain situations where like it, it's not a negative like the AI is it is incredible like and it, it for for the time of the game and it was kind of there was one particular moment where i was like all right this game is pretty relentless and i think it might have been like mission two or something like that and the example i'm going to give here is that like i had all the guys up against a building there was an, an enemy then at like this like turret but straight across the way from the turret there was like these three lads just kind of walking in a kind of a circle now i'm after getting over and I have a raft also at the the side of the building. Now, at this point, I'm after quick saving this situation. I'm like, all right, quick save here and all. Going to plan this out correctly, grand job. And then, like, the lads are going around and then they just see the raft and they just go, bang, 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 and like, all three of them just relentlessly just destroy the raft, right? And you're like, oh, Jesus. And I was like, all right, I actually need that raft. So I'll go back again and uh, reload. And this time around, though, they weren't going near the raft. They weren't, even though I didn't move the raft. So I was just like, oh, okay, why? Well, that's weird. All right, grand. Anyway, it's fine. Then I went off to get to the turret. And when I got to the turret, like, they just turned, three of them killed me. That's it. Game over again for me. Well, not game over, but I felt this whole thing of once a commando died on me, I was like, you can continue, but I never really, I wanted to succeed with all of them. Alive. I was the same. I always, I always, <laughs> when one fella died, I was like, okay, go again. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it was just, it just didn't feel like the real reward, no matter how skillful I did it, as long as I got it with all the guys, I was like, I did that really well. That's how I saw it. Um, but I just felt like, you know, it, it was, 
it was in this particular situation that I was like, right, I really, really have to plan so much. And this is like, as I said, I think this actually might be like mission. I think it is mission two, maybe. The, but I was like, this is mission two. And like everything down to the placement of where I put a certain vehicle or the, the timing of running to the turret when the lads' backs are turned to when they turn around again. All this coming into play was like, at such an early stage, I was like, oh my God, this is... This is this is hardcore. And this was down to the point, even though they tell you in the tutorial as well about like, oh, Joe, you leave footsteps in the snow. They'll see that and come your way and everything like that. Like all of managing all this in just that one little section of this level, I was like, oh, this is this is very, very hardcore. It's not a negative. It's just for me, I wasn't very good at this game. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, but I think that's incredibly impressive for the level of like skill set that's needed to play this type of game. It, it, there's definitely like I went off this to watch a person play this exact level on YouTube and like holy god there's some people that are unbelievable <laughs> at playing this game. It's a credit. It is a credit. But um very challenging. It is as well like just another shout out to like 1998 i mean these guys were doing bloody footprints in the snow like three months before metal gear solid one yeah and 1998 just continues its mad role to be the year of stealth doesn't it but yeah real wow moment seeing as you were kind of talking about that i did want to bring up the the sneaky traits of the commandos because they are Bloody fantastic. <laughs> so, as already mentioned, you have your six different commandos at your disposal. What's vital is that the majority of those commandos do specialize in the more stealthy tactics. Mm. We'll talk about the, say, the sapper and the driver and maybe the sniper when we get onto the boom boom. But yeah, what I love about your, your group of little soldiers is that each of them provides their own special thing. And during this podcast, just, you know, kind of in general, I'm saying here, not just this particular podcast, like, I mean, this is the 13th game we've spoken about on here. So it's happened already. It's going to happen again. It's happening today. We're going to be looking at some pretty old video games, Commandos <laughs> being 25 years old. And I do try and emphasize this. We're not reviewing a 25 year old game like it's a new game in 1998. We're talking about it in 2023 and we're assessing whether these things hold up or if they feel dated or whatever. And let me tell you two gentlemen and the people listening, I was absolutely floored by some of the abilities of these commandos. Floored. The Marine being able to whip out an inflatable boat and start rowing along a river or diving underwater just had me interested from the off. And I know it's a, a guy you in particular enjoy, Josh, so I won't go too, He's the best. too in de depth with him. <laughs> but then you have the spy who, you know, is very good at wearing clothes, as you pointed out, and they can steal a Nazi uniform and divert the attention of enemies or, you know, stick a syringe in their neck and kill the bastards. <laughs> but the Green Beret for me... Oh, oh first and foremost, he is essentially your top dog. He's the cover on the, the game itself, but he can knife lads silently. He can pick up and hide their bodies, which the spy can do as well, to be fair. But I swear, the thing that had me standing up from my desk and applauding <laughs> like an absolute lunatic. So the Green Beret can go prone on his belly and then... <laughs> 
he can whip out a little shovel <laughs> when he's on snowy bits <laughs> on the ground and he can bury himself in snow, hiding himself from the enemy. Not only that, Cullum, but when he buries himself in the snow, he has buried himself so deep that when an enemy walks on him, <laughs> he is not noticed. <laughs> uh, it's a uh, big moment. It's <laughs> I, fi- I find it hard to even express it in words, which is difficult for the audio <laughs> medium. But burying yeah. the, the green brain snow, it just blew me yeah. away. Like similar yeah. to, and you've even mentioned this on this podcast, like how you kind of keep bringing up the Monaco's um, sightline lighting system, mm, Josh, mm. and how that was something you've really kind of taken away from that. Like I felt that way about this. Like uh, perhaps I'm forgetting something obvious I don't know but the only thing I could compare it to while playing was Metal Gear Solid 4 you know where Snake's suit would automatically hide him from enemies while he's still up against a wall or he's on the ground or whatever oh the Octo camo yeah I know I, I whipped through the abilities of the rest quickly just to get to my love of covering the green beret and snow <laughs> but, but again the fact that each of them has their own abilities that aid your mission it's just, it's great. Oh, it's mm. top notch. Yeah, yeah. I think I mentioned this earlier, but like, yeah, the, the game provides you with some combination of the lads so you know whatever guys you have, you're going to have to likely use in each mission. And that means using their abilities. It's just marvellous. But I, I was, some, I don't know, something so small as burying yourself in snow, I was like, this is outstanding. And again, like really like still rare. Off, off the top of my head... <laughs> Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Lara would like. Oh, covering herself in in the dirt, yeah. But like that's kind of the, and I think maybe like Ghost Recon Wildlands or Breakpoint had a thing where you could rub dirt on yourself. But you know, that's twenty years later. You know, that's the, I mean, it's still the the snow thing is like. It, relatively underused even now I would say I loved it I was like that's incredible but I, I know you you also enjoyed a lot of the the little tricks that your your troops have Josh and just the level of control you have over them uh, yeah look I'd love to be able to tell you guys that I uh, am like a, a sort of master of the multicam setup but I, I'm not. I like to think I am, but I'm not. It's one of those, like, just the crazy options that you have to fix different cameras on people, see the see the vision cone, use the use the little tricks of the trade uh, as best you can with it with it with each of the people. It's not necessarily difficult because of, because I mean th- you know there are always more enemies and they are like tough. I I do. It's not an easy game. One of the reasons it's like maybe a little challenging is just because it gives you so many tools. Yes. And you just you just kind of forget a bunch of like, oh, yeah, I can actually bury myself in snow. That's like only useful in snowy levels. But what an amazing little thing. And um, I got I always got it with the with the with the Marine with forgetting that he's got. A little, a little harpoon gun, yeah, which is just an amazing thing because it's a silenced way to shoot someone, which is outrageously good stuff. Just this is just while we're here because it does fit in. I don't know where this is actually in the video game of Commandos, or if it was just in the instruction booklet. Which is, we don't tend to go there on Stealth Boom Boom. We do the box, and if it's on the box, we get it in the podcast. But did you guys catch the names of the Commandos? No. no. 
Okay, let me just give this to you. The Green Beret, Jack O'Hara. Perfect. These are all crackers, by the way. The Sniper, Francis T. Woolridge. (laughs) (laughs) The Marine, James Blackwood. The Driver, Samuel Brooklyn. The Sapper, Thomas Hancock. And the Spy, René Duchamp. Lovely. What amazing (laughs) names they are. They knocked it out of the park. Jack O'Hara's top notch. Love it. Um, (laughs) But anyway, yeah. Uh, the degree of control, like you just think fair enough and that sort of stuff just seemed to kind of lose favour, really. Just the outrageous degree of, as, as as like context sensitivity came in and really changed the way that people play a lot of games. This kind of experience with just, yeah, do you want like 30 keyboard shortcuts and are you going to remember all that? And th- those games have, of course, fallen out of favour. But every now and then it's worth just going back and sort of reminding yourself of like, yeah, it seems crazy, but but if you can hold this in your head, imagine the possibilities for each mission. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers stuff. I think it's fair um, to say that the complexity of like the control setup, even though you have to, you try and tailor to your own play style, obviously, the complexity of it for this type of game fits it. It just adds to like, this is a serious war game. <laughs> yeah. like, everything about it is challenge. Yes. So this is what it's going to be. Just before you get onto your love of the, the Marine, the diver and, uh, specifically, Josh, something you mentioned there, the kind of multi-cam setup. Mm. I couldn't wrap my head around it at all. Like <laughs> f- for people who didn't play it, basically in commandos, you see the map and you're able to move around the map and move your little men around the map and zoom in and zoom out, et cetera, et cetera. But you're also able to split the screen up into something that sort of looks like what a TV director sees. It is this multicam setup where you're able to split the screen up into six. And that then allows you to track any area of the map that you wish or enemy soldiers or vehicles or whatever it is. And I just found it impossible. Yeah. I wish I could tell you that I mastered that system. I really wanted to come on the podcast today and go, yeah, you lot get on the multi-camp, but but it's just incomprehensible to me. (laughs) I I, I think I jumped on it for like 60 seconds. And in my head, I went, Adam, you're, you're actually at the moment struggling with the placement of your raft. So just get out of this now. No thanks. Like maybe it would make some of the larger maps easier, perhaps. Uh, but even, I, I don't know, it, it, it I, just the, the segmenting it and like you have to sort of activate each camera first before you can use, I just found it way too fiddly to use. I just and the view, the view is so good. As you were saying earlier, the view is so good anyway. It's like, it almost, it just seemed like, well, if I do the multicam thing, it seems like I'm actually seeing less. It's taking up more of my screen space. I can just see the whole map if I just zoom out a little yeah. bit. But, but yeah, Josh, yeah, yeah, you, you did want to wax lyrical a bit on our raft diving friend. The Marine, the Marine is the one. James Blackwood, the accent was he's so if people don't so they each have different nationalities in the game we'll get onto this a little bit in a in a, in a little bit but he's got this brilliant uh sort of australian the sort of backstory to the marine it's, it's sort of implicitly he doesn't he's got a problem with authority and he's got this uh really funny 
uh, sort of Australian mannerism. So he'll say "righto" when you give him something to do, and he'll but he'll go "righto," and then there'll be a slight pause, and then he'll go "sir." <laughs> <laughs> Which, but it's a small thing, right? And it's 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 two fucking words and a fella's voice performance, and not you know not an Oscar worthy voice performance, right? But that a lovely little bit of character dimension, just effortlessly communicated. Like he doesn't really like you, he doesn't really respect you because you're not out there like he is, and that's great. I'm all for that. But his powers are ludicrous scuba diving why isn't there more scuba stealth in video games splinter cell double agent for sure uh, and i think again shadow of the tomb raider where it's like you're swimming under the ice and you can use fisher's knife to like drag people under the ice and kill them and i think they basically cribbed that for tomb raider those are like two games in in in, in i want way more aqua based stealth games so the the marine can he can scuba along under the surface of the water and he he isn't seen when he does that so you can get very close to people if it's a sort of coastal area um and just sort of well, you're like a fucking predator, really. And you can just <laughs> pop out the water. He's got a harpoon gun, so that's a projectile kill that makes no noise. He can conjure up a rubber dinghy from his back pocket and ferry his fellow commandos about. Um, and he's a sort of borderline, insubordinate, grouchy Australian fella. I, it just For <laughs> me, that's the standout. I just thought... It's a water stealth bastard, and I'm all for... I want to salute James Blackwood because he's my favourite commando. He is very strong. Uh, yeah, he's probably the Green Beret for me. Adam, do you have a, a favourite of the commandos? I quite like the spy, but not. it's mainly because of what he can do. And I felt that, like, it was the spy and the sniper. I was like, I kind of get on well with you at the moment. But I just like the whole getting an outfit and going up to all the lads and having a chat. Yeah, it's good. So that is what we thought of the stealth of commandos behind enemy lines. So we're going to take a quick little break and then we will be back to talk about more of our opinions on this here video game. All right, then let us chat about other parts of commandos behind enemy lines, like the most noteworthy mission. And before that, the boom, boom. So this is where we talk about the more explosive parts of the game, but also just the other general gameplay bits as well. And I wanted to start us off by mentioning something that we have alluded to quite a bit, but let's carve out some time here to talk about how this is a bastard hard video game. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I do want to emphasize that I don't think it's unfairly hard. You know, as I said, I, yeah. the game, it tells you everything from the off when you see the map and the game doesn't really introduce a new element on a level out of nowhere that's going to, you know, entirely mess you up. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. I do think some maps slash missions are a bit overwhelming. Mm. Mm-hmm. For instance... The fourth mission, I think, is an example of something that is just a bit too much. And I know, and I, I won't, we'll talk about it in, a, in the next section anyway, but it's just more in depth, but it's just so large. Yeah. And it is some of those larger maps that are, as I say, overwhelming, you know, I, and even looking at them, it's not as if any of the maps are you know, we we um, measure everything off of like how many Skyrims it is. It's not <laughs> huge, but it's, I think it's 
a combination of the size of some of those maps and also the volume of Nazis that are there as well. And, and this is weird that I'm going to say this, I'm not, I don't want to complain, but I think some of, some of that difficulty is down to um, how daunting it can be when you start a map and you've had your briefing and you in this area and the game doesn't it doesn't have any like ui really for, for well it's got lots of good ui but it doesn't have ui for what you've got to do there are no there are no waypoints so when you're faced with like a really big map there's no little thing where it's like you know go here no kind of sense of it's 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 kind of up to you you know it's like well you you best to bloody listened during that briefing and you sort of know you know what you go but it's weird because i you know, that sort of conversation popped up around, you know, something like Elden Ring, you know, it was where it's sort of like, oh, it doesn't do that. It doesn't codify what you've got to do. It doesn't really sort of point you in any directions. And I'm a fan of that design. But I do think that with something like Commandos, that does contribute to the difficulty a little bit. Because when you just, the moment you begin, you just think, oh, it's you know, that deer in the headlights moment where you think, oh, Christ, okay, right, okay, uh, what I've got to do? Jesus, this map's massive. Where, where am I going? You know, it's that initial, oh, God moment. I also found the missions where you had more commandos added to the difficulty as well. Yeah. It became more awkward the more commandos I had. Mm. Two was good. Three was good. Four, anything above that. It just became a bit awkward. Yeah. Well, I suppose it comes down to the fact that we said just earlier that like we all wanted to succeed with every one of our commandos to survive. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one part of it. But I completely agree. Like it's a thing that we are saying a lot, the difficulty. Yeah. All that jazz, whatever. But it's really, really well done. It's difficulty. And like when you get from, I don't know, we will talk about level four in, in a while. Like, but like, I think it's the difficulty spikes for me that were throwing me completely off. Because when I think like, oh, I have a handle of this now. And then you get to something like level four and uh, you have this massive scope, as you were saying. It just, it's the tension and the planning and the patience that's required. Mm. Like throughout the whole thing is, is, is mad. And I, I'm just not (laughs) really that good at that type of game I think it's the first time I've ever kind of really played a game where I've been like no I'm just not really getting this right I'm not getting my objective down because they're very clear with your objective list as well that's another thing that we have to mention like there's a notepad that you can click and it'll tell you like go do this with this commando Mm. so like I'd be like all right you've told me I'm gonna do that but then I go and I'd be like I'm not feeling this at all. <laughs> and it, when that would open into like maybe like a, a, a kind of a gunfight of some sort, it's it's dodge mm. because even though you have weapons at your disposal, like you can you know, like the snipers one, like the snipers like really good, obviously. Um, but like you have pistols, you have harpoon guns and stuff like that. You can you can go in and pick up like your like barrels and explode them and all these kind of things. Really and truly, you never really want to cause that much havoc unless you have a full plan set out from the start. And if you look at a map and you're kind of going, right, there's a jeep there, there's there's a, a raft here and there's kind of a thing, a building over there. Like you, you could be in your head going, well, if I blow up the building to cause a distraction, that would make me get up there, get the jeep and then I can drive the jeep down to get the two lads and we can get out of here smooth sailing. That's amazing for this type of game. 
for this for the year that it came out. But like as I said, I'm used to sell it. I'm like, right, lads, let's all go together all the time. <laughs> Even though I then I would try to separate us, it was always a bad idea. But that's not a con. That's just yeah. me. Something you mentioned there, Adam, about, you know, setting barrels down and, you know, blowing them up or whatever. A lot of the boom boom in this, Josh, or the more successful boom boom, is sort of a sneaky boom boom. Mm. It's kind of to what Adam was saying there where, yeah, okay, if I blow that up, I'll say it'll be a distraction whilst I do this other thing. It's not all out guns blazing. For sure. Yeah. And I like one of the, I think, for me, like, because you do a lot, you know, you do a lot of killing in commandos. It's not one of those sort of stealth things where it's all avoidance, you know, there's an awful lot of death. And um, often what might feel like failure when you're playing commandos actually sort of isn't. Like the game's like, well, he's he's shouting alert, alert. But actually it's like, well, you can kill the, you know, you can kill these guys if, you, if you're quick about it. But I really liked... Two, th- two things here. Slashing and hiding bodies, very, very good. And shout out to uh, the Green Beret, Jack O'Hara, uh, for his ability to <laughs> stuff enemies in barrels. That's really, really cool uh, once he's killed them. Um, and also blowing barrels up, uh, you know, kind of li- literally boom, boom this week. Blowing barrels up and blowing them when you have to blow buildings up, moving the barrels near the building and blowing the buildings up. Really, really like mechanically satisfying to do. And it's a good moment to just kind of point out the graphics are nutty for 1998. Mm-hmm. And the explosions mm-hmm. are just out of this. Like even now, I'm just like, wow, look at the detail. You blow up a Nazi hut and you can see all the burnt wood and the innards of the hut all crumbled in. With stuff. Like just really pleased given that, as you said earlier, kind of like, you know, so many of the missions actually entail blowing stuff up. It's always the communication thing, a missile system here, a, 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 a building there. It's a good bloody job that the explosions are so far. It's a real moment, you know, when you've set your TNT or you've moved your barrel, you look forward to the payoff of that. Bang, yeah, I did it. There's a good bit of boom, boom there. And that's actually what we had to do for the mission. You know, it's a bit, a little bit like the shotgun in Monaco. It's like that little moment. Here you again, are again. Bringing up Monaco every single week. <laughs> yeah, just really like, mmm. It's a nice little mechanical punch of like, take that, you Nazi, you know, and it blows up and I'm all for simple pleasures, you know? However, one thing I wanted to talk about caused me displeasure. <laughs> it is the one commando that I detest, actually. And he is one of the more, I guess the most boom boom of all the the commandos really I spoke about all the guys I liked oh actually one actually before I go on to say who I didn't like one I forgot to mention was the sapper and I suppose oh, yeah. because they are literally boom boom they are your explosive expert and I really like them as well like proper boom boom with their grenades but also some good sneaky boom boom with their remote explosives oh, yeah. that you can plant and then detonate from afar I, I, I really like them as well the one I hate is the driver. <laughs> I have absolutely no use for that waste of space from New York. <laughs> Nothing inherently against New York. It's just where he's from. Was it John Brooklyn or something um, is his name? Samuel Brooklyn, yeah. <laughs> 
they have effectively no purpose apart from fucking driving. Mm. And I rarely found a use to employ him in general combat uh, because the other commandos can do other stuff. You know, they, as we've said, the Marine has his quiet spear gun. The spy has his lethal injection, etc., etc. The driver, he's, he's not sneaky. His weapon is a machine gun. And I, I, I suppose I, I should be fair. He does have another purpose. He is also the medic in fairness, but it's not like he even comes in handy with that all that much because if you're spotted often, not all the time, often your soldier is going to die. I didn't find a time to use his medic abilities all that Mm. much. So whenever he was part of my roster during a mission, I just groaned and I wished I had a sniper or a sapper or just someone else that wasn't there. I hated the driver. It's just way too loud. Did, did either of you fi- find a use for the driver? Adam, did you, what, what did you think of the driver? I, 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 same as you, but like for me, I just thought vehicles in general were very awkward. Yes. Yeah. They were just very awkward to navigate around. There was a lot of moments where, you know, you, you, you click, but you realise you haven't clicked to the area that they need to, they, so they just stop in the middle and you'd be like, oh Jesus Christ, it's all going wrong again. Um, but yeah, just just very awkward in, in, in the sense like I would kind of like, I would want to be very certain of my next move when it came to using the driver. What about you, Josh? Did you ever find a use for the driver? Yeah, big time, big time. Um, and, and you're going to hate me for this. In mission four, if you use the driver to get into the tank, you can absolutely fuck that mission up and it's brilliant. <laughs> You simply get into a tank and you can just control the machine gun on the tank. And the thing about Mission 4 is it's about causing chaos. So you just do that and you just batter everyone. It's brilliant. So, yeah, kind of have to disagree with you, lads. Samuel Brooklyn for the win. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we're talking about the boom boom of of guns, we spoke about the barrels and and the kind of uh, the look of explosions and etc. Whilst you say you enjoyed the tank and causing havoc with that, you weren't too gone on the actual, the weapons that the commandos have. Is that right, Josh? No, yeah, for sure. Like, and that's okay. It's what, you know, you point on the thing that you want dead and you click it and then it happens. And whilst like the explosions are good, there's sort of minute to minute shooting, like the machine gun, even the machine gun with the driver, which is like the, 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 the most sort of high velocity weapon that you sort of have, I guess, the most death dealing. It's not like mechanically satisfying and yeah. ever so slightly fiddly when you're sort of trying to hover if there's like three guards shooting at you you're sort of trying to click each one in the heat of the moment and just sort of wait for the uh, you know animation to play out while he does it a little bit a little bit fumbly it's it's fine it's it's not about the kind of mechanical thrill of the of the shooting in the minute to minute i just sort of thought yeah you know they're they're not really up to much but it's i guess it's not that kind of game it's just you know Part of your strategy, yes. isn't it? Yes, pulling out a pistol is a last-ditch uh, attempt to save things rather than the recoil. You can really feel it. It's <laughs> incredible. Yeah, 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 definitely. The only exception may be uh, like the sniper rifle. Yes. Which is, you know, actually like a viable thing. Or if you count the harpoon gun as a gun, yeah. then the harpoon gun, which I guess it kind of is, but yeah, because it's silent. But even then, it's almost like they're just another one of the many tools that you have in your disposal. And actually, like a few of your other tools are much cooler than guns. The, the, the bear yeah. trap, the syringe, the little distractor thing. Like it's just, you know, it's another tool in your box. It's simply just not as rewarding. 
You want you want you want to pass these levels as cool as possible. <laughs> yeah, that's just the way it feels. One final thing I wanted to mention in the boom boom, just as uh, another gameplay base. Uh, how how do I describe this? So for people who haven't played, I'll try and break this down as best as possible. Right, in Commandos, you select the soldier that you want to command, uh, and the items. Um, that the commandos have by clicking on the screen with your cursor. So, for example, you can select a commando by clicking on their faces in the top left of the screen, or you can select a commando by clicking on the little men on screen, just in the map, in the game world. Mm. I had a few problems, right? The first problem I had with this was that, and it's not like this was rare, I would be controlling Army Man A, Right. And I would want to move them close to Army Man B. Mm. But I would instead begin controlling Army Man B by clicking basically one pixel too far left or right near Army Man B. It is a proper pain in a game where your movement and placement of said army men like really, really matters. (laughs) Uh, uh, Similar to that, another issue I ran into, and I should preface this as well by saying that. Once I got accustomed to the hotkeys, it wasn't as big of a problem, but it is still definitely something I wrestled with at times. So once you're in control of an army man, you have access to all of their tools, the the, the items that they can use. They're in the backpack that's in the bottom right of the screen. But again, something that happened a lot, I would move my cursor to the backpack in order to select something. And instead, I would inadvertently pan the camera to the southeast section of the map. Yes, yes. That did actually happen to me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a problem when you're out of view of an enemy, but a big issue when you are trying to do something quickly. Trying to improvise, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And did you guys find that, whilst I, I, I do love that UI, actually picking the thing that you want within the backpack... You also have to be pixel perfect for that. And I wanted the knife uh, with the green beret and uh, actually having to click on like the hilt of the blade of the knife. And if you hover over the straps that secure the knife in the pack, you can't get it. You have to wait for it to look so really, really precise even to get the knife within the pack even. I just thought, wow, okay, that's precision clicking there. I should say... That, yeah, there, there were, once I was kind of used to it and I knew some of the hotkeys, like, for example, that did happen to me with the knife, but I just learned, okay, X is the hotkey sure. for a knife. Yeah, yeah, or G is the hotkey for a gun. Or just, like, you kind of, you'd learn these things. But some of the more specific items for the characters, mm-hmm. I would just, I just, you know, I was trying to retain all this information. <laughs> like it would just be like, oh, I just selected from my backpack. And then the, the camera just pans down there and it just, it was fiddly. So I am glad that like I wasn't on an island with that. And that is something that the both of you ran into as well. Yeah. Mm. That is what we thought of the boom, boom of commandos behind enemy lines. So let us now chat about the most noteworthy mission to each of us. Adam, would you like to start us off by chatting about Mission 4? So this was called Restore Pride. And Josh has already made reference to it. We've spoken about it a lot, actually, on this podcast. Uh, Look, 
there's, there's no other way of saying it. This, this broke my heart. This broke my heart, this entire mission. And I think, like, you, for me, you, you, you'd play this mission and you'd, it would feel like, am I, am I playing the, the final mission here? Because <laughs> this has just gone crazy difficult now. Like, this is where I'm saying, like, with a difficulty jump from, like, <laughs> one, two, three. And then this, I was like, ah, here. It's like the game just went, you, you obviously know absolutely everything about this game at this point. Now, surely, <laughs> Mission 4 has incredible scope. It's so big. It's such mm-hmm. a big, yeah. big um, yeah, map. Yeah, yeah. You have five of your commandos with you. Um, but not only that, but, like, there is countless vehicles around the place. Uh, one of them is the, the, the tank is there. You can grab a tank and mm-hmm. go mental on that if you can. But everything down to getting to that tank, which is um, very near where you start. Yeah. Getting to that tank is such a challenge because it's surrounded by the bones of nearly, I don't know, roughly seven enemies or something like that, six or seven enemies. And you're kind of going, do I want to? I did manage <laughs> to get into the tank. You have a fairly solid um, advantage, obviously, it is a tank. But from there, then I was kind of like, okay, where where do I go from here? Because, (laughs) like, I have to get across to this, like, gigantic building. And the amount of times in this level that I heard, alarm, alarm, Alarm! I was just like, (laughs) I was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. And when I first got into the tank and then the alarm thing was set off I scaled up to the top of the map and I shit you not there were I think 15 enemies on their way (laughs) and I was like holy mother of god and I will say that it's the type of level that I think if you are very good at this game it's it's outstanding like because it is such a challenge. And I think visually it's, it looks really good. Like the whole level, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of like derailed kind of trains that are just like abandoned on their side that are after getting like blown up and stuff like that. Uh, the building detail looks really cool and stuff. But I just think I was, I was just banging my head against like this, this level. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get past it. Like I just couldn't get past it. And I knew I couldn't get past it from the second I started it and just looked around the whole thing. I was like, oh, gee, this is not, this is, there's no way this is happening. Like with the whole intention of trying to finish with every commando surviving, I was like, that's not going to happen here. Not at all. But I just couldn't get my head around how to achieve it in the right way. For me, it's, it's an example of the, the, type of commandos mission I don't like. Yeah. It's too big. It's too much. Like you said, you start in the southwest of the map and you must go all the way to the northeast. You must collect some supplies and then you must try and, you know, you must attack this Nazi villa Mm -hmm. there in the middle. But then there's a bit with a train as well, or you can block the entrance by getting a, a lorry and you escape by a boat near a dock. It's just too much. And as I said, like um, earlier that, you know, the, the more commandos you have as well, it just becomes a bit awkward. And yeah, you said you've, you've five commandos here. I just, I couldn't get on with this mission either. Even, even to get over to the other side from where you are, like 
you, as I said, there's tons of enemies around the tank. Then you have like to get over through the train tracks. You have a train that keeps coming every so mm. often, I think. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton of like barbed wire fencing in the way. But like over the other side of that barbed wire fencing, just where the track starts, you have about six enemies with a turret. And then like if you get past that, you're you're getting over the, the train track, but you're kind of like you really have to get all the guys like like kind of crawling nearly at the side of the track so you don't get hit by the train. There's just so much to manage. It's too overwhelming at such an early stage. And I think it goes back to, is it the developer said that like, you know... Like one thing he would change would be a softer difficulty curve. Yes. Yeah. A bit of an easier learning kind of curve, I suppose, like that, you know. Definitely at that point. That's where I was kind of like, how is this mission four like what what's mission 20 yeah yeah this must have been the mission that kind of made him say that or made him reflect on that right like other people must have i mean yeah it is definitely uh a wild jump i would think a high percentage of people would agree that at that point when if they got the mission four, that they weren't like yeah have this i got this done this is gonna be fun Mm, the mission that stood out to me was the one that came after this which was mission five and it, for, for a couple of reasons, one of them may be the fact that it came after the, my least favorite in, in Mission 4 and something that sort of highlighted the worst parts of Commandos in my eyes. Mission 5 highlights the best parts of it. So basically this mission takes place. Um, it's called yeah, Mission 5 Blind Justice and it takes place on a two-tier map. That includes an airfield that's blanketed in snow. You, you know where this is going. Your, your objective <laughs> is to destroy a radar that's on the upper level of the map and then you escape in a plane. And in 1998, in 2023, in probably 2043, pick, pick a year, this thing is impeccably designed. I think it is absolute magic. So... You have two of your commandos available to you. You have the spy and you have the green beret. In my estimation, probably the two best commandos. I do like the diver as well. The marine, like they, they would be up there for me as well. But they're probably your, your sneakiest army men. So what you have to do is you have to get the green beret to eliminate enough Nazis on the lower level, which then allows the spy to make their way to a washing line in the kind of northeast section of the lower level and they steal a uniform and then it becomes a balancing act between the two. You're using the spy to distract enemies while the green beret is coming up behind him and offing him with his knife. And when you've done enough of that, you get the spy to take a cable car up to the top level and then you have the green beret scurrying across the snow, burying himself in it when uh, when the opportunity takes you. <laughs> but you. Yeah, you scurry yourself over to the cliffside of the upper level and then you like Lara Croft your way up it while the spy is sticking his lethal syringe in lads on the top level, creating a pathway <laughs> for the Green Beret. In, in every way, as I said, you've only two commandos to worry about and both of them are working in concert. You have a map that is tidy. It's not small, but it's not overwhelmingly massive either i adored it and a real a real visual spectacle as well that 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 background effect where you get that height difference you know that you're on a mountain and obviously the stuff in the foreground is very sharp and it's all alpine it's lovely snow but then that 
cool like vertigo effect where you see all the mountain range below you as well. I thought that was really, really, really cool. I absolutely loved it. But Josh, tell me about a mission that I didn't get to see because I wasn't as good as you. <laughs> so <laughs> do, do tell me about mission 14 D-Day kickoff. This one is a bad boy mission. This is, this is uh, cards on the bloody table. Uh, this is the, as far as I got in, in the game, not, just because of like raw difficulty, but also because of time, because it is actually just quite a long game as well. We we should say that like it's twenty missions, and these missions are pretty chewy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Oh, they'll, they'll keep you busy for a fair while. So this one, the sort of background of it is that Operation Overlord is sort of it's on the eve of that happening. Everyone knows D Day because it's been in like hundred video games, and it's you know the storming of the beaches, the taking of uh, Omaha Beach, Dog Sector, uh, was it Dog Green Sector? I forget. Anyway, it, it's that whole thing. But the the, the, the whole the whole thing is uh, the there's there there are four cannon uh, emplacements at La, at La Riviere. Uh, which is in an area codenamed Juno, and those cannons are like a, a real threat to the to the D-Day landings. Um, so you have to basically destroy the cannons. It's classic commando stuff. You, you got to go in. You got to blow something up. The reason it's cool, I think, uh, is because of uh, the marine. Because everything's cool with the marine, but the the you do actually have quite a big um, roster at your disposal. You have got the green green beret here. You got the sniper. You got the um, the, the the driver uh, and the sapper. Uh, and the marine so you've got like a, a team of, of five of the commandos and it's an island and a little bit like uh you were saying Cullum, it's uh tidy it's quite clean it's not a small map in fact actually it's a really large map but it doesn't feel daunting because it's an island and you can see all the way around it it's just you know you can see the whole island. Uh, you've got to pan for a little bit, but it, it, it doesn't feel massive, partly because of the marine, because you conduct a lot of business on his cheeky little dinghy. So you can raz around this island. So traversal is never all that much of a pain. On the island, there are all sorts of troops and uh, defensive walls, different impl- uh, four different emplacements, barracks, things like that. Obviously, all of the uh, um, those... Those metal things that they put on beaches to stop the craft trying to land. I never know what they're called. You know, there's like X's of metal, all that sort of stuff. But the brilliant thing is you don't really need to worry about a lot of that stuff because of the Marine. This is like where he really sort of shines. So you can sort of kite around the edge of the island on his little boat. But the, the brilliant buddy combination of the Marine and the sniper uh, because the the sniper when he he can snipe people from the boat ah right yeah, so yeah. you you can go around and pick people off sneakily uh, whilst you do other bits of business with it this is a mission where you where it benefits from splitting up your squad and having a couple of guys go out in the boat or have the marines stealthily go around the edges whilst you also work a couple of people inland but so there's a lot of that a lot there's far it's a five strong team for this mission. Really nice, manageable map. Quite different from all the other maps in its own way. Actually, in the same way that Blind Justice was. Quite quite particular. Um, whereas I do think some of the other maps sort of blur together a bit for me. But this one, really distinct. And But one of the reasons I think it's really, really cool, on top of all of that, is actually kind of linked into the story. Because so many games just fall back on the Saving Private Ryan. 
You still, you still on the beaches, and you can see why they do it because it is, for my money, one of the best sequences that's ever been filmed. I think it's an astonishing. Um, bit of filmmaking, I, almost the best thing Spielberg's ever done. I can understand that why it established so much of the sort of visual language that we associate with with um, with Omaha Beach, uh, and so that's you know you, you play Call of Duty, you play Medal of Honor, you know you play any number of things, and that's what you get. You uh, run towards the machine guns, everything's all that. Yeah, this one is really really cool, and the only other game I can think of it does it is Brothers in Arms. It tells you like a different story. It's like. That is going on. That will be going on. But actually, you guys are doing your own storming of the beaches, but it's different because you're doing it like in the week before. And you're these commando guys. In your own way, you're storming the beaches, but you're doing it in a sneaky way. And it's to help facilitate the other guys. It just feels like a these guys didn't get their story told in the history books. Uh, but actually they would do, they would, you know, they were doing this stuff. And the only other thing would, as I say, would be, would be brothers in arms, which tells the story of the airborne, what they were doing well into France while the landings were going on. They actually landed in France. So there are some other games that do it, mm-hmm. but yeah, those, those two things came together. And I just thought, what a, what a great, I know we sort of, you know, this story isn't up to much, but it, but it does weave itself into the history of it quite well. And and uh, and this mission sort of stood out to me for that. Yeah, it so- sounds good. I wish I was able to play it. I wish I was good enough <laughs> to get there. <laughs> so that is what we thought of the Boom Boom and the missions that stood out to us. So we are going to take a quick little break. And then, yes, indeed, we'll be back to talk about the story of World War II, I guess. Mm. Uh, And also (laughs) any other miscellaneous bits we have to hoover up. So we'll be back right after this. Right then. Yeah, let us chat about the story of commandos behind enemy lines. Kind of, I mean, it's more about it's, uh, I guess, how it is presented in commandos behind enemy lines. But you did make an interesting point there, Josh, about it being a, sl- a, a different World War II story to to an extent. Yeah, it, it pins itself to lots of interesting... It actually covers a lot of ground, which is another thing that, that other games can struggle with. Often you'll get uh, like a shooter campaign that will really kind of cram itself to try to get some of the big set pieces in. This one... Because of the way it's presented with that sort of all the archive footage um, and, you, and you played a bit earlier for the for the listeners so, <laughs> so they can hear that brilliant uh, sort of narrator chap who sounds like one of those History Channel style 19, 1941 uh, Norvik <laughs> in Norway, you know, and he sort of gives you the grounding and you sort of see all that stuff. I, I, I actually, before, before you go on, I have the bit here that plays just before mission one. So you don't get these a ton throughout the game. You get like mission briefings, but the sort of history channel presentation that you're saying with archival footage, there is, yeah, the one that you get at boot up, you get one before mission one, you get one then when you go to Africa. But um, this is the the little video that plays uh, before you begin mission one. It's June the 4th, 1940. The evacuation of Allied troops from Dunkirk has ended. Heavy human and material losses have been sustained. In that same day, British and French troops begin to demolish the port facilities in Narvik. 
This will be their last action before evacuating Norway and leaving it under German occupation. On June the 7th, the Norwegian king and his government go into exile in London. This will be the beginning of a dark period for the Scandinavian country. Allied troops will not set foot on Norway again for a very long time, with the exception of the commandos. Due to its particular climate, long distances, difficult communications and isolated towns, Norway is an ideal testing field to put into practice the first incursion tactics of this newly founded unit. Everyone's gone from Norway, but not the commandos. <laughs> exactly. They'll go anywhere. You can point into hell. They'll go there. Yeah, I just, uh, it's not, it's nice. It grounds, it gives you a little bit of flavour. It, it actually covers a really wide span. You've got the, the Nor- Norway, the sort of, um, the a- African conflict. They go to Rommel and the desert and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it, it, it sort of, it doesn't do, it's not, sort of jingoistic and oorah, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a lot of the time sort of what it is, what, what games tend to fall back on. I mean, you know, there are obviously notable examples to the contrary, but it's difficult to resist that when it's World War II, isn't it? Because it's like, of all the conflicts in history, that one's pretty much goodies versus, it's, it's as close to black and white <laughs> yeah. as one perhaps can get. That's why it's been such a popular war for video games, I think. Um, so it, it, it sort of actually comes across as quite clean. You know, you sort of, you, 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 you engage with those story bits and you just sort of go, okay, all right, this just sort of feels like this, is the, you know, this is what happened. And then, you know, with that backdrop of history, we're going to tell you this story about this ludicrous, ludicrous uh, squad of commandos, which, you know, may or may not be true. Uh, and actually they were doing all sorts of stuff behind the, behind the curtain and, and this, this is that stuff. So, in, you know, enjoy. That is an important point, the kind of non-jingoistic feel, because a lot of the time that turns me off and has my entire life, has mm. turned me off war, media, games, films, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get that a little bit at points, yes, obviously, but it's not... Kind of, it's not in your face, I guess. Yeah, Because like, it, sure. it is telling this slightly different story about, yeah, these this elite team, the Commandos. Yeah. One thing I suppose that stood out to me with regards to the Commandos was their voices. Yeah. <laughs> We've spoken about, or you gave us a little breakdown of their their names, Josh, and you gave us the, the biography mm. of... Uh, what was the Western Marine's name? James Blackwood. <laughs> I did... Because, you know, it's all well and good for us to chat about it. Mm. But I do think we need to play something for the people at home to get get a flavour <laughs> of what these lads sound like. And they'll only pop up, well, I say only, because so, you're commanding them, so it's all the time. But mm. whenever you ask them to do something by clicking on them and telling them to go somewhere or complete an action, they will talk. So they are serious chatty Cathy's uh, but here is rather than play you individual ones I put together a, a little clip of just random bits of audio that you hear the commandos say with a bed of the main menu slash pause music which I also quite like so yeah take a listen to this why don't you try it, boss? Okay. Yes, sir. I can't do that, sir. Nope. That is impossible, officer. Okie dokie. Coming. Coming right over. 
sir. I'll be right over. Okay. Wish I could do that, officer. I'll be right there. Right away. Come on over. Understood, sir. I'll be there in a moment. Coming. I'm afraid not. Sure thing. I'm coming. Immediately, sir. Affirmative, sir. Right. Whatever you say, officer. Finally, some action. <laughs> Wish I could do that. Yes, sir. Okay, sir. Yes. I understand. No problem, man. That's easy. Right out, sir. Understood, sir. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, serious danger, officer. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I could do that. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, as an Irishman, oh. that is the one that definitely stands out to me. Yeah. Oh, holy oh, smokes. that's unbelievable. I also just do love the, nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Coming over. Oh, God. Did you guys turn to, you know, you can turn on, uh, was it verbose soldiers? I think it's called. Like, in the options, you can actually decrease how much you want them to do that, which is... A oh, really? <laughs> I didn't see that option. Oh, yeah. Well, arguably, if you if you decrease that, you're not getting the full commando's experience. I think you need to hear them on every single click. Um, but because yeah. <laughs> oh, like, like realistically, that, so that sounded like just me playing the game when everything's going to shit. There's a sort of... Um, I think we've even spoken about this. I can't remember what game it was... But I feel like you spoke about a B-movie quality to a dialogue in one of the games, at least one of the games we spoke about in this podcast previously, uh, Josh. Oh, it's Penumbra. It was Penumbra, I think. There's a charm to these accents, Adam. Definitely. Despite maybe the um, <laughs> insulting characterization, <laughs> The easy stereotypes it deals in, yeah. How does this rate on, uh, I had to get your guys' reaction on Jack O'Hara, because I know, Cullen, me and you have spoken before about, uh, well, Sean Devlin, obviously, protagonist of The Saboteur, your favourite one from, the was it the first Red Dead Redemption? The I forget the Irish character. Oh, Irish from Red Dead, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is his name just Irish? He's just, he's just called Irish. Genius, genius. Yeah. Right, okay, brilliant. <laughs> How does Jack O'Hara, is this just... I wish I could do that. <laughs> no one speaks that way. It sounds sore. The way, the way he, like, it's not like da, 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 da. Like nobody talks that way. <laughs> like, and that's it. I wish I can do that. Like, it's just like, no. I especially love when he shouts that that's easy when you've actually asked him to do something incredibly difficult. Like I've asked him to blow up a German, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, base. That's something. easy. But like all of them are like the driver. Yeah, the, yeah. Run away, boss. Coming right over. It's just, it's, but as I say, there's a, there's a kind of a charm to it, you know? For sure. But I, I know kind of on the team, the commandos, you wanted to give Pyro Studios their flowers on just the premise itself of putting this, this crack team together. Yeah. I got, I'm such a sucker for that in in uh, games. I love, and it's a little bit like, uh, I can't remember if I've said on this podcast before to you guys, but like, you know, heist games, I really, really love. And I especially love it because that's kind of what this is. I know it's like, you're not actually stealing stuff. Mainly you're just blowing stuff up. But it's kind of like that vibe you get when you watch Inception, which is kind of like, it doesn't, you don't realise, oh, actually, that's a heist movie as well. It's, it's when you get that chemistry of, like, 
people coming together and pulling something. Well, it's like, yeah, like a bit like I said earlier, like like, like the A-team, but I, I love it when a plan comes together. It is nice that you sort of mechanically, you've got all these different skills and personalities coming together. And then actually, like in terms of the story, you do get this sense of like, that's cool. Like they're a unit and this is a bit of a caper. And I did think it was cool that all three of us, without like saying anything over text, like all three of us did that thing where we wanted to keep all of them alive. And like, that won't purely be mechanical. Like we should give a little credit to like a little bit of the writing and the, and the, and the sort of silly schlocky voice acting and stuff. You do want these guys to scrape through. And I was the same when I played weirdly, the point of comparison today seems to be brothers in arms, but like when they died, I'm just like, Nope, restart from the checkpoint. I'm not having any of these lads die. I don't want blood on my hands. You know, they're all getting out alive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that's that's an advantage. One final thing I wanted to mention that's I perhaps story adjacent a little bit, but some of the mission briefings you get in this game are in my eyes needlessly spiky. And in particular the tutorial briefings, right? Hmm. I don't know, maybe you didn't pick up on this at the time, but uh, well, I think, I don't know if we haven't mentioned it already. Like, oh, I think the tutorials are great. Like it, it took me the best part of an, an hour, maybe <laughs> or so to go through all of them. Because yeah. I, I mean, like maybe like all of us, I, I was starting with a knowledge base of absolutely zero. For sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they really do. They introduce the game wonderfully. You get little videos on how to play as each commando. And then mm. you, you can play out the scenarios in that video. It's, it's really good. But... Mm. The narrator that introduces these scenarios is a bit of a dick. <laughs> a funny dick, but a dick. And to illustrate this point, I wanted to play you a clip of what he says at the beginning of the tutorial for the Marine character. So take a listen to this and just maybe not even so much what he said. Well, a little bit what he says, but also how he says it. So, yeah, this is what the narrator, this is the narrator introducing the tutorial scenario for the Marine. Okay, here you will have the opportunity to show what you have learned about the Marine. If you need more details, select the appropriate theory session. I want you to eliminate all the enemy soldiers. And go to the end point, okay? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Do what I've said. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite you spiky. Stupid bastard. Yeah. <laughs> Do you need to oh we'll do the tutorials for the baby who doesn't know how to play the game. It's like, all right, fella. Chill out. But yes, oh that is what we thought of the story of Commandos Behind Enemy Lines. So now it's time to hoover up any last little bits in our little miscellaneous section here. And Josh, why don't you start us off? Uh, You've kind of alluded uh, to this already, but, well, I suppose you alluded to like the explosions and all that, but the actual, the art style itself and the look of these maps, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's phenomenal. It's not just like graphical fidelity. I know PCs are always a bit ahead of what consoles are doing at the time, but just the style of it, man. Like Mm. you don't really... I guess like maybe Pillars of Eternity and like modern, those, you know, those isometric RPGs are still doing it, but it's, uh, it's like that. They're all little dioramas and the the style of the, of the graphics, like you're looking on a, 
you know, you get like where people have tables of those little little battles with like figurines. Like they Warhammer. Like, 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 War, like Warhammer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That aesthetic. I don't know if it ten- if it pops up all that much. And, and this this was a really like, uh, it really popped visually. It sort of had that feel of like someone's granddad or someone's uncle who's like really into the history channel and you go into his garage and he's actually like painted the proper units and all the right tanks he's got a little hillside that he's whacked up on an old ping pong table or something like that like he's really <laughs> into it you know it, it, it's sort of a bit like that like he had that feel of um i'm sort of playing with a little toy set like it's really cool graphically but they've gone for this lovely little model look and it just yeah kind of ties into the Sort of, all, sort of faux authentic feel of it a little bit for me. I, I really like the it. color overall is excellent as well. I love the kind of like really dark green that's going on all the time, and it, like it's really aqua blue in the, in the river and stuff like that. And it just, it just, it all, it all looks really like. I think like even from booting this up again and from the start, I was like, oh yeah. It just, I just remember how blown away I was when I first saw Commandos like years ago mm. do you know like I was like when I seen it I was like what is this this is so cool looking <laughs> but like it, it still it still very much holds up like I don't look at it and go like I know that Commandos 2 and stuff has gotten a HD remaster but I don't look at this and go this needs a bit of a fucking no it's do, still you know? still good work isn't it and yeah for sure yeah. The little flags. Did you guys see the little flags fluttering? Oh, yes. Outside, like, basically, like, any, like, Nazi stronghold. They have the swastika flags outside all the stuff. But the way they flutter in the wind. Yeah. Like, whatever shortcuts they were using was were great. Like, you mentioned the water, Adam. Like, just this shimmer on top of it. Just, it, <laughs> yeah. looks, it looks great. Yeah. In addition to that, I guess, uh, on how the game looks, one thing I wanted to talk about was the UI. And I know I mentioned my difficulties with, I suppose, UX rather than UI and selecting some of the items and all that. That is still very true, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that I don't thoroughly enjoy the UI <laughs> and how it's all sort of in universe. Yeah. Like mm. it, it, in the game, there's this sort of cargo belt border that's wrapped around the action. Mm. There's the simplified map in the top right that you can pull out and it shows the, the enemy movements, their little red dots. And it's, it's on this notepad. But the, the biggie for me is the commandos, each commandos items being in their little school bags <laughs> in the bottom right yeah. of the screen. In a game that is trying to get across all of these ideas to you, as we said, the tutorials, and I was coming in from zero and the two of you basically were as well. It's trying to communicate so much, hmm. but visually, I think you even said this earlier, Josh, like the visual language of it is fantastic. You're not dealing with reams of texts or yeah. uh, uh, drop downs or menus or anything like that. It's it's visual. It, it, it works great in that sense because like, it, it, especially for this type of game, it's a smart decision because you're looking always at your tools. Mm. They're always there to be seen with this command or whatever. You're like, all right, I got this. Now this is what I'm going to use next. Right? Like there's some games that exist that you forget about certain skills until you open up the, the wheel and you see, oh, I should use that instead here. Do you know what I mean? So this type of game to have your your uh, kind of inventory always in shows is really cool. And once again, the detail of it is, is, is really, really good. One thing then that you wanted to mention, Adam, was, and we've said this earlier, the game doesn't allow you to pick what commandos you want for a mission. It just says, here's the mission, we're starting, your goal is X, blow up, whatever thing, and then get out. And we are giving you 
yeah, we're giving you the, the spy and the green beret, or we're giving you the marine, the sniper, and the sapper, or whatever it is. But it's the game decides what commandos you take out. Yeah, like it's it's tuned to the mission, but it's interesting, I felt, because they're like, like say, for example, I would have gotten on better with the spy and say the sniper. And like, I would have liked to have maybe just attempted every mission if I could with those commandos it's an interesting choice i understand it because it's obviously the way the level they've designed these levels that they go yeah we want you to use these ones because there's those vehicles there for those purpose or those turrets are there for those purpose and like you if if only certain commanders can use those things it it kind of it makes the level completely uninteresting i suppose and the options so i get it it's just it's interesting that they they could have just thrown it in because i would imagine there would be people out there who could get through levels with like one commando probably mm-hmm. you know and that would be mad to watch but um yeah that's just one of those things and that is what we thought of commandos behind enemy lines so we are going to take a quick little break and then we will be back to give you our verdict on commandos behind enemy lines but before that we need to play a little game Ooh. I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Every episode of the Stealth Boom Boom podcast sees me test the gaming knowledge of my co-hosts with a simple game I like to call Who Am I? I give five clues to the identity of a video game character and you, Josh Wise, and you, Adam Carroll, must give me the correct answer. All you have to do is say stop and then give me said answer. Given the nature of this podcast, the video game character in question will be from a stealth slash stealthy video game, and I will not listen to any complaints from either participants if they have a problem with the character I have chosen. You get the clues once and once only, so listen up and listen up good. Let's play Who Am I? Clue number one. My first appearance in a video game was in... 1985. Good lord. One nine eight five. Clue number two. Some people call me a monster, which is probably fair, but it's not like my mother set the best example for me. Ooh. Okay. Remember, you can get you can guess as many times as you like. There's no penalty for guessing. Uh Stop. Josh Wise. Is it Mario from Super Mario Brothers? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there should be a penalty. Incorrect. (laughs) Clue number three. I know we're mostly here to talk about games, but did you know that they made some movies about me too? Quite a lot of movies, in fact. Stop. Adam Carroll. F. (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, it's, no James Bond Incorrect mm. Clue number four You know the way I said my first appearance in a video game was in 1985 Well, the reason I'm being brought up on this podcast today Is probably more to do with my most recent appearance in a video game Which was in 2017 2017 Christ's stealth in 2017. Uh, damn, nothing's coming to mind. <laughs> oh, stop. Josh Wise? Uh, 
this is mental. BJ Blazkowicz from Wolfenstein. Incorrect. Uh, Stop. Adam Carroll. uh, Morgan Yu from Prey. Incorrect. That Demis. And clue number five. I know it's not, and fingers on the buzzers here. I know it's not the most popular sport where you stealth boom boom boys are from, but God, do I love ice hockey. Oh, God, I feel like I should have blown it wide open, but it just hasn't. Uh... (laughs) I really expected both of you to fall over each other to get there. So to go through the clues again very quickly, uh, my first appearance in a video game was in 1985. Some people call me a monster, which is probably fair, but it's not like my mother set the best example for me. Clue number three, I know we're mostly here to talk about games, but did you know they made some movies about me too? Quite a lot of movies, in fact. A lot of movies. Clue number four, you know the way I said my first appearance in a video game was in 1985? Well, the reason I'm being brought up on this podcast today is probably more to do with my most recent appearance in a video game, which was in 2017. And clue number five, I know it's not the most popular sport where you stealth boom boom boys are from, but God... Do I love ice hockey? Stop. Adam Carroll. But this could be Jason Voorhees. And this week's winner is Adam (laughs) Carroll. What? To go through the clues. Clue number one. uh, My first appearance in video games in 1985. It was a Commodore 64 game, just called Friday the 13th. Clue number two. Some people call me a monster, which is probably fair, but it's not like my mother set the best example for me. Pamela Voorhees loved In the original Friday the 13th movie. Yes, Mrs. Pamela Voorhees is the killer. Clue number three. I know we're mostly here to talk about games, but did you know they made some movies about me too? Quite a lot of movies, in fact. 12 in total from 1980 to the reboot in 2009. Clue number four. You know the way I said my first appearance in a video game was in 1985? Well, the reason I'm being brought up in this podcast today is to do with my most recent appearance in a video game, which is in 2017, Friday the 13th, the game. Oh, shit. You employ stealth to avoid the monster. And clue number five. I know it's not the most popular sport where you stealth boom boom boys are from, but God, do I love ice hockey because he wears an ice hockey mask on his face. Of course. Excellent questions. Excellent questions. I was actually sitting here with my arms folded over, (laughs) looking down, going, who could this be? And Jason Voorhees' tattoo on my arm was staring at me. (laughs) Congratulations. Congratulations. So that is it for uh, Who Am I This Week? So let us return to our our normally scheduled programming as we give you our verdict on commandos behind enemy lines. Right then, the time for talk is done. Brackets nearly. Uh, but we must first <laughs> give our ratings for Commandos Behind Enemy Lines. But even before that, let me give you some uh, reviews from critics from when Commandos Behind Enemy Lines came out. So the first one here is from Greg Casavin uh, Greg of GameSpot. They gave it 8.4 out of 10. And Kasavin said, after you navigate your team through or past some 50-odd nonchalant German guards, destroy a vital enemy installation and hijack a means of escape, you may well find Commando sneaking its way to the top of your list. (laughs) Review here from Trent C. Ward of IGN gave it 8.2 out of 10. They said, action fans probably aren't going to like Commandos, although the game is very fast-paced. It doesn't satisfy the urge for one-ton destruction. And there's an awful lot of sitting around waiting for the right moment to act. 
But if you're into strategy games, own an attention span, and are looking for something that's a lot different than anything we've seen since Cannon Fodder, you owe it to yourself to give this game a try. Uh, Computer and video games. I don't know who the critic was because they didn't credit anyone, but they gave it five out of five and said, quote, if you want a refreshing change to the glut of football, quake and driving sims flooding the PC at the moment, Commandos is the easy choice to satisfy your needs. An absolutely awesome game. Greg Ingram of CDMag.com gave it four out of five and said, quote, overall, the game is absorbing. It keeps you wanting to come back and just get past that guard. Then the next, then the next, and suddenly it's Monday. So expect it to be gripping, expect it to be time consuming, but don't expect it to be easy. And a fine review here from just Colin. Uh, who reviewed it for Game Revolution, gave it A-. And Colin said, quote, More than just a Dune 2 clone, Commandos provides the player with one of the toughest challenges ever offered in a PC game. While more and more games are the kind that you can solve in 10 hours, it's good to see a game that will take about 60 hours, if not 100. Now get out there and teach those Nazis a lesson. (laughs) But that is what all the critics thought at the time. And their opinions don't matter. The only ones that matter are Adam's, Josh's and mine as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on commandos behind enemy lines. So how this works is that each of us will give commandos a rating. That rating is either a pass, a play or an espionage explosion. A pass, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game. Or an espionage explosion. We really think you should play this game. One, two, three. All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing the badge of approval slash disapproval. So, let's give our final ratings of Commandos Behind Enemy Lines. And we alternate the order um, on each episode since a few episodes back. So the order this week is Josh, me and Adam. So Josh, start us off. What is your your summary and rating of Commandos Behind Enemy Lines? I would say that, uh, well, first of all, it's a play for me. And I would say that the reason why is um, it's amazing how much of it has withstood the test of time and also, like, surpassed the test of time. The thing with the snow, mental. The thing with the footsteps, unbelievable. The Marine, where's my Marine in 2023? You know, answer... Go on Steam, you can pick this up for about a quid. It's ludicrously cheap. If you like stealth games, if you like... Actually, if you're just a fan of World War II, and they ain't that many campaigns that are really worth your time, you know? I Call of Duty World War II from 2018, I thought I was partial to that. Brothers in Arms, really, really good stuff. You know, a lot of the older Medal of Honours. This one gives you a good sort of survey of the World War II theatre. Lovely archival clips. So if you're into that as well... Absolutely go for it. The stealth is good. Amazing visual language. Very, very clearly explained. Yes, it's frustrating. Now, the reason it's maybe not an espionage explosion, number one, whilst the explosions themselves are very good, the guns (laughs) and sort of improvising when things go wrong, it is sort of stuff that we're generally ascribed to, to, to Boom Boom isn't really where it's at. Like, it is more about it's good when it's going good, you know? Um, That... That, that that stuff is it is is frustration for sure. Uh, the, the, there's a lot of stuff there that asks you to hold to hold a lot in your head to keep you keep keep on that quick save button. Um, so it, so there are you know frustrations for the for the gamer of 2023. I understand that, but um, for me anyway, 
the the sort of roster of positives fairly comfortably outweighs those uh, frustrations. Though I, f- I, f- I feel the the seesaw might tip the other way for you, chaps. So coming into this, I was terrified. I <laughs> like I put commandos behind enemy lines on the schedule. And even when I did, I was like, because I was looking at, you know, just trying to tie things around anniversaries. It's like, it's 25 years. I guess, I guess why not? You know, you got to challenge yourself sometimes. Step out of your comfort zone and play mm. things that maybe you ordinarily wouldn't. And that was commandos behind enemy lines to me. This isn't something that if we weren't doing this podcast, I wouldn't play it. I would have no reason to, to play this game. Hmm. I was like, let's give it a go even though I know I'm going to be absolute dog shit at it and I'm not going to get anywhere. And kind of more fool me for thinking that because I didn't anticipate, I guess, how, whilst this game, it doesn't hold your hand or anything. I've been far from it, as we've Mm. we've mentioned throughout. But it gives you all the information. As we've said, like when you start the mission, it tells you everything you need to know to succeed and even before that in the tutorials it does hold your hand and it tells you this is how the green beret works this is how the sniper works this is how the marine works it just it takes you through every single thing and then you know sends you off for your first day of school but it tells you where the school is it's packed your bag your lunch is there ready to be eaten let's go and get to the school <laughs> and you know cause cause havoc sneakily I mean to echo a lot of your points Josh like so much of this blew me away. Like it, in, in terms of this being a 25 year old game that not even like, oh, it's good for the time. It's like, this feels fresh now. Mm. This feels so, I mean, you can bury yourself in snow, lads, for God's sake. <laughs> but it does have some things holding it back. I didn't finish it. I tried, but... It it is overwhelming at points. And like that mission four is a prime example to me of something that's like, this is too much. And it does veer into that uh, avenue at points, most definitely. But I think there are certainly more positives than negatives by quite a way. That's why for me, it is also a play. And if, if some of those larger levels were paired back, mm. I think... I'd be, I'd probably be hotter on it. And I might even be saying an espionage explosion. I might agree. I thought it was great. So yeah, a play from me. So Adam Carroll, what say you? Uh, So unlike you, Colm, going into this game, I was tremendously excited because I just had it in my head that like, yeah, this is going to be great. I remember that demo. That was brilliant. Can't wait to play it again. And um, yeah, I've said this on the podcast already that I was very bad at this game. Um, maybe maybe overly harsh and bad, but I I just wasn't finding the the right way to play it. I just was making a, a shambles of a lot of the situations. But if somebody was to say to me, "Ah, oh, Commander Twin Enemy Lines," it's one of my top five games of all time. I can fully fully understand that whole thing. I can like I can see why people love this game. There is. So much heart in it. There's a lot of really great stuff. As as you were saying, Colm, like it's it today, like 25 years later, this game still works ex- incredibly well. Like, I, I don't know if it's just because it's the type of game that it is. I, I don't know what it is, but it just still, it's it doesn't feel like a game from 25 years ago. It still 
looks really good. It, yeah, whatever with the sounds of the sound, as we stated, it, it, it has charm. It has tons of charm. Difficulty. Yeah, it is what it is. It's very hard. Um, but I'm with you guys. I think it's an absolute play. Even for the like, only getting to where I was in that game, I still walked away from it going, ah, Commandos, it's a good game. It's a good game. And um, I'd be very excited to play the second one. A strong play, I would say, for me. Put that to bed. Commandos Behind Enemy Lines is done because now we need to turn our attention to what we're going to be discussing on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom because on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be talking about a game that Mike Suski of Games Radar said, quote, uh, it offers occasional glimpses of what could have been an interesting game, end quote. <laughs> Richard Cobbett of PC Gamer said, quote, it's that guy at the goth club desperate to fit in. It's clothes and makeup, a copied uniform rather than a personal statement, end quote. And Andrew Reiner of G- Game Informer said, quote, like it's vampire characters, this game never has a pulse. End quote. We're going back a decade for an Xbox 360 slash PC vampiric adventure, as you may have spotted. Yes, on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting Dark. It all began in darkness. I awoke to a world of pain. Eric. Eric Bain. The name shot through my head like a bullet. It was my name. Dark. I want to stress. Dark. All caps. Dark. Capital letters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, and as I always like to do, you know, just a, a little teaser. Josh, have you any history with Dark? The history I have with Dark is you telling me about Dark like three weeks ago and me looking Dark up and just suddenly becoming incredibly excited to play it. I I had a 360. I, I, I actually don't remember it. I... I don't even remember the front cover and that front cover's hilarious and you would think I'd remember it, but I don't. Um, I have no grounding with this game other than the little bits that I learned, which is vampires, which for me gets a thumbs up because it's a, a, a malnourished genre. And the fella who was Geralt in yes. The Witcher is the the voice of... And the, the protagonist is called Eric Bain, which I'm just excited about all of it. Um, but no, I don't actually know anything about it. I So the, you mentioned the cover. That's the only thing I know about Dark. I do remember seeing that cover mm. because it was so cool. <laughs> and, you know, he was in his hood and it was yeah. all kind of purpley bluey. And it was like, oh, it's called Dark, mm. all caps. <laughs> Adam Carroll, do you have a history of dark not a single bit until you put this on the list and i was like what the hell is this game dark looked it up same as you lads saw the poster the artwork and went that looks terrible and i was looking at the character eric bain he just looks like he is the kind of fella that would buy you cans if you're underage He does, yeah. I guess yeah. over the next fortnight, we'll play it and we'll report back and we'll see how we get on, you know? We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see. But if, yeah, if you want to play along at home, uh, you can pick it up on Steam for 
like half nothing, I think. It's uh, relatively cheap. But yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about, is dark. But now it is time to start winding things down on this here episode of Stealth Boom Boom. So thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Uh, A few things to ask of you, of course, as always. If you enjoyed this episode, if you just found it perchance, please do subscribe to our podcast via your chosen podcast app, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, whatever. We are on there. Get us subscribed. And also, please do rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice as well. Give us an espionage explosion. And by that, I mean five stars, please. Thank you very much. Uh, you can also follow Stealth Boom Boom on social media. We are at Stealth Boom Boom. And you can follow all of us on social media as well. I am at Cullum underscore Ahern. Adam is at Adam Zokes. And Josh is at Joshy Wise. But now it is time for my least favourite part of the show where I really hate doing that all the time. (laughs) It bothers me. But it is time to bid the listener adieu. So say goodbye, Adam Carroll. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Josh Wise. See ya. And say goodbye, Conor Mahern. Sloan. Go forward.